Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, a part of the Geek Freaks podcast family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek, starting with the original series. My name is John, and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kevin. Hey, we're both back together. Yes, finally back. Um, so, Kevin, what episode are we reviewing today? Today, we're talking about the original series, season one, episode 14, Balance of Terror. Nice. Balance of Terror. All right, before we dig into it, I do have a question for you. Uh, lay it on me. Aboard the Enterprise, would you date? Uh, would you, uh, if, if you would date, would you try to find the one and settle down, or would you keep it casual? You think you would consider getting married, is what I mean. That's a rough question. That's not a rough question. It's a good <laughs> question. It's, it's hard to answer, because in life, I've always been the kind of person that's like, Hey, if you're going to date, keep it away from work. Keep keep the separation from professional and personal life. Just mm-hmm. keep them keep them separated. But I don't know, aboard the Enterprise, we saw what happened with uh Nurse Chapel when she was engaged to somebody. They were away from each other for 5 years. Dude mm-hmm. ends up dead and an android, so you never know <laughs> what's going to happen. Um I I think if I found somebody worth going for while like my my wife, if I if we were working together on the enterprise or some other starship i'd go for it for sure 100 percent. okay good good safe answer <laughs> uh, yeah i'm i'm on the fence about it because one thing i mean people die all the time out in space on starships and stuff so you know you fall in love with somebody and they die and then you're emotionally scarred and you can't perform your job and you know how, how long does it take for you to recover before you're ready to date again and stuff um and like you know you go to all kinds of different planets and you meet all kinds of different races so I I think it'd be awesome to stay open to dating so you can mix, mix and mingle with other cultures and stuff more easily too. So oh, that's a great point too. Yeah. I didn't think about that. One. Right. I mean, you got to make a pit stop at a pleasure planet every once in a while. right? <laughs> I, I'm just going to say, you never know when you're going to accidentally find love. Uh, like true. I think it happens. And if it just so happens to be with somebody you're serving on a ship with, I mean, I don't know. Obviously they allow it in Modern day military, I don't think they do, especially if you're of different ranks. Mm, yeah. um, so I, I guess there's give and take with both with both points of view on that. But I definitely say I'd go for it if I was on a spaceship. Nice. All right. I like it. At that, are you ready for our warp speed recap? Let's go. All right. Expected to be a pleasant day aboard the Enterprise, the crew was was excited to see the young couple be married. Unfortunately, this lovely ceremony was interrupted before it could begin. Earth Outpost 4 was under attack and Enterprise was their only hope. This outpost was one of several that monitor the neutral zone between Earth and Romulan space. After a great war between the two people, a treaty was forged over 100 years ago. To trespass in the other space or even in this neutral zone would break the treaty and be seen as an act of war. Outpost 4 is destroyed by a powerful ship that appears out of thin air and vanishes uh, just the same. Enterprise is able to detect this ship with sensors even though they cannot see it. They follow the ship and copy its every motion to appear as if an echo or a shadow on their sensors. The Romulans realize they are being followed and try to evade the Enterprise uh, in the wake of a comet. They fire at Enterprise only to reveal a weakness in their weapons. They have a very limited range of effectiveness. Knowing this, Kirk continues to volley long shots in their direction, causing damage to them with little risk of retaliation. Nearly out of fuel, 
and time, the Romulans decide to stand and fight. The Enterprise is able to fire on them before they are within range uh, to fire and nearly destroy the ship. The captain hails the Enterprise and exchanges some kind words of respect with Kirk before destroying his own ship. Though the Enterprise survives this encounter, they did lose one crewman, young Robert Tomlinson, who was to be wed that morning. Captain Kirk tries to console his fiancée, but she is uh, strong and carries on. Another uh, scene of people not dealing with death as well as you'd think they would, or differently than you think they would. Yeah, for sure. Alright, so overall, how'd how'd you like this? Do you think this was a pretty good episode? Yeah, so I watched this back-to-back with the one prior to it, which Mm -hmm. I also thought was a good episode. Um, I did like this episode quite quite a bit, though. Yeah. It was first time we see the Romulans, which is a big thing in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and just the the level of intellect between the Romulan commander and Captain Kirk, mm-hmm. the battle of wits. I, I I did. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I like that. It seemed like they were playing chess uh, with each other in the way they're battling and strategically maneuvering and everything. But it felt kind of like, uh, and I, I probably have this in my notes for the down. But it felt a lot like uh, submarines back in you know the Cold War era, where you can't see them, but you got to hear for them, and there might be you know a sign or signal or something. Yeah, there is something much much later in the episode that is very, very reminiscent of <laughs> a scene from The Hunt for Red October, yeah. which obviously was made after this was. But uh, yeah, that, that's a recurring theme in the original series, especially, is that the, the ships are kind of supposed to be like submarines and mm-hmm. space is supposed to be like the ocean. Yeah. So it's yeah, that, that analogy is a good one for sure. All right. So we, we start, we'll go scene by scene. Uh, they start in this chapel, which I've never seen a chapel on the Enterprise, but they're, you know, preparing for a wedding ceremony. Uh, and then we get that red alert. You notice, though, I thought this was kind of odd, and we might see it again in Star Trek, I don't know, but they have open flame candles in a starship. Have you seen that before? Is that is that normal? Oh, man, I cannot recall. I'm sure it's happened before. I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, Tuvok, when he... Uh, yeah, is training Kess. They use a candle yeah. and they study on the flame. And that, that was my only example, too, is I know that. I mean, I know Neelix is cooking in the kitchen. He uses a flame, but, you know, that, right. those are both being applied for certain, you know, burning oxygen for certain purposes, but as just like a decorative or, uh, I don't know how you would say it, but for ritual yeah. or something like that. It just seems odd that they would use candles being that it's burning up oxygen. Yeah, I, I'd like to think that Chakotay maybe did for some sort of uh, ceremony as well, ceremonial thing. But I, I, I can't think of any other specific examples besides Tuvok and maybe <laughs> the chef from Enterprise also cooking mm. on the ship. But we never see the chef, and that's a big. I don't want to get into that right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we move on to the bridge. Uh, they're heading for Outpost Four. They're able to get some ratings from from one to two. Um, but. Spock takes the time to explain to all the crewmen the deal with this neutral zone, because apparently not everybody knows. Uh, But there was a big war about over 100 years ago. But it was important that the war was communicated through, or the the treaty after this war, uh, was communicated over radio or, you know, subspace messages. They never met face to face. So the people from Earth, which I don't think we have a, they're not a federation yet, right? They're the Earth empire or something like that i don't know i don't know what they're called yet but uh 
they made a treaty with the Romulan Empire without meeting face-to-face. So this is the first time any of them are actually going to see what Romulans look like. Uh, and then Kirk explains how, how risky it is. If we make a misstep, you know, we could start an all-out war. So, you know, they've, they've been told his orders are they're expendable if it's what it takes to keep peace with the Romulan Empire. I will say that um, at this point in the Star Trek timeline, the Federation is definitely in existence. Okay. But as far as them creating it back in the 60s for the show, I don't think it is. Okay. Yeah. Because it was so, like on their maps and stuff. They're like, well, this is Earth territory, not you know, right. Starfleet or Federation territory. So I was like, I don't know how that worked. I wasn't, maybe one of the movies explain a transition where they create this you know, organization or something. But I haven't seen most of the movies, so I don't want to. You know, <laughs> I think they, well, I know at the end of Enterprise, they formed the Fed, like the whole point of the prequel series of Enterprise was leading up to the formation of the, the, the actual United Federation of Planets. Uh, OK, um, I think they just kind of added in later, like they did with Starfleet into the original series mm-hmm. and just hope nobody noticed. <laughs> nobody analyzed it episode by episode. I gotcha. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK, so why do you think uh, Starfleet then or the Federation would put such little value on their crew? Because they pretty much say. You guys and all of these outposts, anybody that comes in contact with the Romulans, you're expendable if that's what it means to keep this treaty between, you know, our planet and theirs. I don't know if it's little value. Um, it's kind of just like a listening post, right? Mm-hmm. Is that more or less what it is? Yeah, I think so. They're, they're, they're I, yeah, to monitor that area. I mean, back in like feudal wars, uh, you would see like towers. I, okay. I'm going to just r- relate this to uh, Lord of the Rings. Nice. Cause it's what I know better than real life. So <laughs> <laughs> like Lord of the Rings, when uh, the invasion starts and they start lighting off the towers from one tower to the next tower to the next tower, that's kind of how I envision these listening posts uh, okay. along the neutral zone. So if one of them hears something, they all light up and signal mm-hmm. earth. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say they're expendable. I'd say that in comparison, maybe they are, but all Starfleet's expendable as we've seen, especially if you're wearing a red shirt. Yeah. So for those of you that uh, like, I like I like Lord of the Rings as well. But for those of you that don't know Lord of the Rings, think Mulan when the Hun army attacks and they start lighting their towers. Same same concept right there. I like it. Nice. Uh, so I was thinking like I, that's kind of an extreme for Kirk to say like, hey, pretty much you guys are worthless in this situation. Like we we have to be prepared to die to prevent this from becoming an all-out war which is like not yeah not that their people are worthless but they're expendable in this scenario because it's so critical and what i was thinking is it must be that the earth or the federation's perspective of of the romulan empire is it they must think it's massive they must think this is like poking at the borg kind of thing like they're so huge we can't survive a conflict with them so we must you know keep this treaty at all costs no matter what it takes if some of our people die we just hush it up and say, sorry, we got too close to your borders and, you know, kind of butter them back up and make peace again because because they're they're so overwhelmingly powerful in the perspective of the early you know, Federation or early contact. So to my knowledge, I don't think Star Trek has ever touched on the Romulan War from 100 years prior to this, mm-hmm. which is very strange because they had a prequel series and now they're already doing another prequel series. Mm-hmm. But the second prequel series, Strange New Worlds, is so close in relative timeline to the original series that it's still in between those two series. Yeah. So I want to see some actual canon uh, war stuff between the the Federation and the the Romulan Empire. I'd love to see that. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. And hopefully, I mean, they could still 
touch in on that with um, Strange New Worlds because it's still in between that. So there's that whole, you know, they're they're tiptoeing around their territory with this treaty and stuff. Yeah. So hopefully they kind of explain some of the history behind that too. That'd be cool. All right. So uh, then we move on to the bridge. Uh, They're close enough to get sensor readings and they see that uh, Outpost 2 and 3 were completely pulverized. The asteroids they're on are just just dust. Uh, So they go into red alert and at this point I was wondering like couldn't this be I mean I know they they're assuming that this is a Romulan attack and they're ready to get there and just you know beat them up like let's start a fight but or at least some of the crewmen are but couldn't this be a natural phenomenon I'm thinking like a solar flare or something you know weird we've seen all kinds of crazy phenomenon in Star Trek that is destroying these asteroids in in order because they haven't seen a weapon a weapon on a ship at least that could do this kind of thing. So why do you think they wouldn't consider that this could just be something naturally occurring? They assume it's a Romulan attack. I think, I think with the cold war going on, that that's just what they wanted to relate it to. Mm. So if there was something that happened similar to this during the cold war, I'm sure one side would have jumped to that same conclusion Mm -hmm. that, Kirk and crew made here. I, I'd like to think they'd be smarter than just to jump to that conclusion and stick with it gung ho. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was also <laughs> the 1960s, so yeah, that's okay because they get they get confirmation here pretty quick. They get closer to Outpost Four. Uh, they're able to hail them, or they they are hailed by by Outpost Four, and uh, they talk with a guy for a minute, and he says, you know, we were under attack. Uh, explains the the effects of the weapon, I think. And they're like, I th- believe they're a mile underground on this asteroid where he's at. Um, but the ship, you know, uh, turns off their cloaking device, attacks, destroys Outpost 4, and then puts it back on. So we see then that they, you know, appear and then vanish. Uh, so they have sufficient, you know, uh, cloaking technology. Oh, yeah, but so we see after that when they turn around and they try to leave, um, that we are able to, or we the Enterprise is able to track them with the sensors. And so it seems after all this time, these Romulans haven't realized that their cloaking technology works visually, but sensors can still pick them up. Now I thought that was kind of silly or strange because, and I might be wrong. Maybe you saw something I heard recognize something. I didn't, I didn't see anything unique that somebody did. Like Spock said, Oh, let me try to use a, tractor beam frequency to detect where that or anything, you know, not using sonar or something different. That's not common Trek tech. So, you know, why would the Romulans not realize they got this gaping vulnerability to, you know, their main, their primary adversary? Well, it's been a hundred years since they've had any kind of contact technologies developed. That's the way that I took it. Um, yeah, I completely agree. They didn't say, Oh, let's turn on our special anti cloak sensors or something (laughs) like that. I think it's a, a a happy accident that they were just trying to push the story along with, mm-hmm. but didn't really use any techno babble to explain it like most sci-fi series <laughs> tend to do. Uh, I love the techno babble. As long as it's all coherent and fits in, makes sense, then it's perfect. Man, Stargate SG One would be the show for you. Uh, that show is great. We'll have to uh, great techno babble. I'll have to get to that one. I think that was one of my favorite things about Voyager too. Is I think of of the Star Trek's. It was one of the heavier techno babble shows that and next generation for sure yeah uh, all right so then we see they're following this this um romulan ship that they can sense with their sensors 
and they are eventually able to pick up a signal from them that it's transmitting. So they, you know, hack into it or whatever. They they look at it, and it's a video feed they were able to get from the bridge. Now, I noticed, I thought this was kind of weird. I noticed that it's a moving camera. This isn't a security camera in the court of the room. This isn't a, you know, comm station or anything like that. This is like zoom in on what the guys are doing and then gets a close up of the captain. Um, I thought that was just kind of cheesy. They should have played that in a little bit better. Uh, so then we see Mr. Styles on the bridge of the Enterprise <clears throat> is the helmsman, I think, at the time. Um, he he's Now that they see that these Romulans look like Vulcans, uh, all of a sudden he's looking at Spock and you know judging him as this you know traitor amongst their people pretty much like, why do these guys look just like you? There's something going on here. You must be helping them out. Maybe that's how they're able to do what they do. And Kirk shuts him up right away though and tells him, you know, there's going to be no bigotry on my bridge. Um, but I got to ask you too, another thing with, if we've seen poorly trained crewmen over and over again, but it seems like that kind of stuff, bigotry and, and discrimination and the kind of things we're hoping to work out of our society nowadays, apparently in hundreds of years, are we aren't successful, but you think in Starfleet training, that would be kind of just drilled out of people, kind of one of the core things that's beaten out of them because you're trying to get people to be consistent and uniform and react logically with their training and not emotionally based on their discrimination against different people. So the Starfleet just failing or what? Uh, from a <laughs> television series standpoint, I don't know what would be better between bringing it up and shutting it down immediately mm -hmm. or not bringing it up at all. Obviously, right now, not bringing it up at all is the clear cut answer. But back then, I think they wanted to make a point mm -hmm. of saying, no, we we're not allowing bigotry on the bridge, which is also in turn saying that's not the kind of show this is either. Yeah. So I, I think it was them trying to make a statement like very heavy handedly. Mm -hmm. I think they were just trying to make that statement at the expense of making Mr. Styles look racist. Yeah. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like that. And then you're right. They need to bring it up to be able to highlight their, their stance on it. Nowadays, we try to just kind of normalize something instead of talking about it. We just let you see it and it's absorbed as, you know, nobody's putting a flashlight to it kind of thing. And that's cool. But back then, you know, you had to, you had to explain why you're, or what you're doing. I yeah. Guess um, a good example I'd like to use is from Discovery mm -hmm. when Adira says, actually, I prefer the pronouns they them mm -hmm. and Colbert's just looked at looks at them and goes okay yeah. <laughs> that was it yep. <laughs> maybe they could have just had that from the beginning of the episode without explaining it yeah but it's another example of them just saying something and it's like this this is how it is now yeah so and it kind of shows because that's a common thing nowadays and it kind of shows you know younger people or anybody really who feels that way that this is all you have to do this is all you should be expected to do is just you know, clarify it to people because somebody walking up to you won't know that, you know, this is how you want to be called. So all you should need to say is this is what I'd prefer to be called and it could be accepted that easily. It is nice though. And I know I'm dragging this on for a little longer than we should, but and I'm also talking about discovering. We probably shouldn't do that, <laughs> but the parallels between this scene in the original series and then that scene that I just mentioned in discovery mm -hmm. just shows that Star Trek has stayed the same mm -hmm. in its viewpoints and trying to uh, normalize people being different. Yeah. And I think that's one of the best qualities of Star Trek and it's why this podcast exists. Exactly. Yep. 
Um, so the Romulan ship is is heading back to the neutral zone, but they explain that the the cloak consumes a lot of power, and so they were going to drop it, but the captain believes that they're being pursued, so he's like, no, 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 we need to leave it up, which is kind of a risk, obviously, if they run out of, it's like running out of gas, they're, they're going to run out of power and not be able to make it home if they can't uh, take down their cloak. Um, but he seems to be a wise tactician. Uh, he actually is analyzing Kirk's move, uh, and Kirk likewise is like trying to figure each other out like they're, like I said earlier, kind of like they're playing chess, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Because we know Kirk is, you know, superior uh, mentally. We've seen it in so many other episodes. So to see yeah, somebody... We've seen of, the opposite of it in some episodes, <laughs> true, too. True, true. <laughs> Easily manipulated sometimes. But this is a kind of cool scene where we get to see somebody else that matches him, you know, tit for tat. So that's kind of exciting. So he plans to lure the Enterprise across the border uh, and then attack because once they're in the neutral zone... Uh, or in the in their Romulan space, then if the Enterprise is there and they get attacked, then it's war that's being provoked by the Earth vessel, not the Romulan ship. Um, so, but he he's kind of upset when he's talking to his advisor because he claims that uh, many of their comrades have been lost in this way. Now, I didn't really understand that. I I don't know. Do you understand what he meant by that? I don't remember him saying that. In- um, that was kind of. I his, would take that. That was like his as, grudge uh, against them. Was he said, you know, so many of our comrades have been lost this way. Like I'm thinking, like were they uh, ships, you know, Earth ships sneaking over and attacking their ships or attacking their, you know, bases or something. I mean, it sounds like he's saying what we're doing is okay because we're doing the same thing they did, but I don't believe that's true. I take it as him referencing the war from a hundred years prior, but. Oh. I don't know because I don't remember the the line, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we also see that was it Kurt? No, it was, it, this captain is just growing tired of this life. Like he's ready to retire, uh, kind of like we see in episode zero with um, Pike too. That it just the the weight of command just weighs down on people. So he's considering calling it quits, but his advisor, especially, is the one that kind of uh, rears him to keep keep going. You have to finish your job. Uh, then we go on to the briefing room. Uh, they're analyzing some debris from Outpost 4 that just disintegrates. It's supposed to be the hardest metal, you know, in, in known to their science. And Spock is able to just crumble it in his hands. Um, so Scotty says he's going to try to get the Enterprise to go faster so that they can uh, catch up with these guys. And that's their... that's their. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. <laughs> that is their advantage, is that the Enterprise goes faster than their ship. Uh, they don't have obviously the firepower, but the other ship can't fire with their cloaking device on, so they'll be able to see when they're going to fire. Uh, and Mr. Styles wants to attack uh, immediately. He's like, "Why are we going to wait? Why are we going to play these games? We need to get them while they're on our side of the t- our side of the border." Uh, and he kind of bullies Spock for a second, and you know, kind of questions Spock's integrity or why he's you know why would he defend them kind of thing is what he kind of made it sound like, but. With that, Spock agrees with him to attack the Romulans first. And I kind of didn't, I didn't expect that from Spock. I didn't kind of like that because it felt like it wasn't in his character to say, okay, you know what, if you're going to be a jerk, then you're right. I'm going to just agree with you. But do you, do you think he was basing, basing that decision to attack the Romulans on our side of the border uh, based in logic? Or was that just an emotional response to this guy bullying him? If it was anybody other than Spock, I would think that it was in response 
to somebody calling him out. Um, it looked like from the get go, Spock was trying to say, yeah, we should attack them before they take out more of our outposts or before they claim that we attacked them mm-hmm. back at or before we get to the neutral zone and then they have a right to attack us. I think that was his uh, what he was trying to say from the beginning. And Styles kind of cut him off and said, no, yeah, racist stuff, (laughs) (laughs) accusing him of being a a Romulan spy or something. I I think that was his goal all along was to suggest that to Kirk. Yeah. Okay. And that makes I mean, it it seemed to me like Spock was also just trying to take that initial step to prove that he isn't a spy. That he doesn't have any kind of allegiance to the Romulans because nobody knew, even he didn't know that Romulans look like him. So all of a sudden yeah. he's like, oh crap, like, hey guys, just so you know, like, I'm, I'm not with those guys. We're not related, we're not in cahoots, nothing. <laughs> It'd be like if you go to work and everybody at work is wearing like black or blue jeans and then all of a sudden you're the one guy that's wearing sweatpants and somebody walks in that you don't like that's wearing sweatpants. It's like, uh, th- this guy's like me, um. Maybe we should punch him in the face. <laughs> Trying to suggest attacking him just to, out of a the, the sheer point of camaraderie with the people that you work with. I, very lame analogy, but I, I think that's the the closest I could get to modernizing it. The Enterprise decides to go ahead and attack right after Spock is kind of bullied a little bit or whatnot. So they're still pursuing the Romulan ship and the Romulans are going to hide uh, in this comet tail that should distort the sensor readings and all this because they realized at this point they were being followed. Um, so Kirk's like, well, we're going to swing around the other side because we know they're going to try to hide in it. So they're going to trick them. Well, once the Romulans realized they weren't being followed because their shadow disappeared is how they put it, then um, the commander told them to stop and change course and do a different maneuver to you know, dodge the oncoming Enterprise ship that was swinging around. Um, and so they launch a volley directly towards the Enterprise, knowing that, you know, where it changed direction to and all this. And uh, they see that it's being dissipated with, or sorry, they, they see that over the range that, that that attack was, that plasma burst or whatever they launched, that it kind of grows weaker as it travels. So before it hits them, it actually has a lot less impact than it should. Uh, which proves that their their weapons do have like a a weakness, a limited range. So as long as the Enterprise can stay far enough away, they're relatively safe from that attack. And that is a weapon that did destroy the entire asteroid the space station was on, that uh, uh, outpost. Yeah, outpost was on. So it's extremely dangerous, but only within a certain range, obviously. And then so they see they're getting closer to the neutral zone. Um, so they, So, you know, the Enterprise... Oh, play dead, I guess, uh, briefly for a sh- short while, and then continue to pursue the Romulans. They're getting close to the neutral zone. The Romulans are uh, running out of fuel, but but Enterprise decides, Kirk tells them, to keep firing in their direction. Uh, and they know that this is going to force the Romulans to continue to have to maneuver to dodge their attacks, which is just burning up all their remaining energy. Uh, and so the Romans try to trick them by dumping a bunch of debris. So they dump debris and uh, one of their one of their crewmen, I think the advisor that he passed away. Uh, and so this is just an old trick where you make it look like, because they have a cloaking device so they can hide, and they make it look like uh, they were destroyed. But Spock, a little too smart for that, recognizes it and realizes, hey, you know, this is insufficient massive debris. 
Uh, this isn't enough debris to account for an entire ship. So he explains that they uh, must be trying to trick him. Uh, but this is where I noted that at, after this point, because they, they did that maneuver and they're hiding and they can't pick him up on the sensors right now for some reason, um, that they're being quiet and they're waiting for each other to move. Uh, so that kind of reminded me of like a submarine battle from old movies like you said, Hunt of Red October. Yeah, so I didn't get why in space, why you'd have to whisper. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, underwater, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. But in space, they, I don't think they'd have to whisper on the bridge in order to stay hidden from the other the other ship. And they did that. Uh, maybe it was trying to set the atmosphere because it's a TV show. But yeah, I, I think I was it a is. little thrown off by it. I think it's one of those things that we're not supposed to think about. But you're right, because the vacuum of space doesn't allow sound to travel. There's right. no matter to be pushed like air is pushed when we talk. There's no matter to be pushed in between ships to where you can hear the sound of another. So even they, so they have like a chirp that goes off some kind of uh, alarm and then like, oh crap, they're going to know where we're at. If there was a, like a signal, like a subspace frequency or something like that they could pick up, then that's totally different. But the fact that they heard the sound and then they can pinpoint where you're at, I don't think that really makes sense in space. Yeah, I uh, don't think so either. <laughs> Uh, so just like we saw earlier that the the captain of the Romulan ship, or the commander of the Romulan ship, is getting tired of command and wore down and stuff, uh, we actually see a scene where Kirk is expressing the same thing, where he is just getting weary of the burden of command. It just, just draws all the life out of him, just like we saw in the first episode that Pike is, you know, dealing with the same thing. So I thought it was kind of interesting. It was just cool to see that um, they share the same, you know, all all wise captains i guess that we could see in this uh share the same kind of draining burden of of command uh but then we see bones kind of gives like a a little bit of a poetic speech or something like that to kirk to kind of bring him back up to speed or encourage him and i didn't put it down word for word but he pretty much says in all the universe you and i are unique so don't lose who you are don't let the the one named kirk uh be lost or something like that uh, and so it was, it was kind of not common. I mean, we see we see Bones be sentimental or other people are ready to jump into the battle and just kill whoever, and he's trying to preserve life more often than not, which is awesome. Uh, I think but, it's the, the doctor in him. Yeah, and the Hippocratic Oath and everything. So I thought this, this was a little bit unique for him, though, is to see him being artistic or poetic. But I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, he's usually the uh, the grumpy old man. Yeah. In the room. And this time he's the the one kind of giving some encouragement to Kirk, which is it is odd, but it's great character development for him. Yeah, because because when you see him as the grumpy old man, we assume that he's like a lot of grumpy old men here that they're the ones that are more often like, you know, forget those people or just fired. We could just destroy the whole ship right now. Let's not even waste any of our resources trying to protect them or heal their sick or wounded or nothing like that. I just just destroy them all. But he's proving that, no, 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 I'm, I'm more diverse than what you think I am from the surface. I actually do care about the value of life. And I do think, you know, I do like poetry and the, you know, value of, you know, Captain Kirk or any individual that, you know, you have to, we're all unique. So we're worth saving kind of thing. So I like it a little, like you're saying, good character development. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, then we're back to, <laughs> back to the bridge where uh, I kind of jumped ahead earlier, but Spock is working really quietly. An alarm goes off. 
the Romulans are able to detect him. And so the Enterprise, uh, again, continues to fire from a distance. Uh, the Romulans launch some debris this time that has a nuclear bomb in it. The Enterprise fires on that. And luckily they fired on it quick enough that it was still at a distance uh, that was safe enough that it could detonate and not really destroy their ship. But it did, did do some damage. Uh, but at that point, they decide to play dead um, and try to lure the Romulans back across the border so that they'd be back in uh, Federation space because they're in the neutral zone at that point. Uh, and the Enterprise doesn't want to enter the neutral zone because then they will be breaking the treaty themselves. Uh, so the Romulan ship is damaged. They're low on fuel. Um, they're pretty much without any hope. They decide to fight back rather than flee. They're tired of just coasting on fumes. They're you know, not going to make it home. And so eventually they're just going to be stranded. So they decide to turn around and fight. Uh, which they've been fighting, but they've been fighting and trying to, as they try to sneak away. Uh, we see Spock is checking in on Styles, who was on the bridge and went to help in the uh, weapons control room because one of their guys was down. And he, again, is kind of rude with Spock. Uh, but then when Spock leaves, there's some kind of gas leak. Styles and Tomlinson are unconscious, so Spock runs over there. Kirk is calling him over the, over the uh, intercom. He's not responding. And so Spock knows, oh, I was just there talking to that guy. Something must be wrong. And so he goes, Spock goes ahead and fires on the other ship and saves Styles. Uh, unfortunately, he's not able to save Tomlinson, who was also already unconscious. So one question for you, though, is when Spock rushes in there, he first he fires to protect the whole ship and all the people and stuff, which is smart. Okay, fire the weapons that your captain's ordering. But then when he drags the guys out, would you drag them out in any specific order? Whoever's closest to me, probably. Okay. Whoever the first one I find. You're a nice guy. I'm a little bit of an asshole, so <laughs> since, <laughs> since this guy Styles, though he's still breathing, was such a jerk, I would have gone for Tomlinson, the guy that was about to get married that morning. I would drag him out first, even if he was, you know, potentially dead. I know Spock is logical, and you go for the one that's most likely to survive. Uh, but <laughs> I'm like, come on, man, that guy was such a jerk. Come back for him in ten seconds, but get the younger, you know. Younger guy that was close to the door anyways. Get him out first. To be fair, he couldn't really see very clearly in all that smoke anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, he might have just seen one person, knew there was a second one in there, but it probably would have taken him much longer, and he would have just lost both of them. If yeah. He, yeah. Potentially. I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but I just would have tried to find one person, pull him out, and yeah. hope for the best. And his defense, Styles was already moving. We don't know what order they came out in, really, but Styles was moving and Tomlinson wasn't, and Styles was closer to the controls, so he probably pulled him out first. But, I mean, come on. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it is Tomlinson's wedding day. That's, that's, a, that's a fair point. But that poor guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I kind of like the, t- the touch, the uh, practical effect of that purple gas. I thought that looked really clean for such a you know, older show. I wonder if that was part of the remaster or if oh, it was maybe originally done. Cause I know I'm watching the remaster on Paramount plus. Yeah. It didn't look like it was CGI or it didn't have like an energy glow to it or anything like that. It just looked like a smoke bomb, but the fact that they yeah. colored gas just to make it visible. So we could tell that it's something harmful. And I don't know. I, I, I want to say they said what it was like. It was, um, like a coolant or something like that, but I don't. Rem- I didn't put in my notes. I don't remember what it was. I think you're right. I think it was a coolant, but I don't remember okay. either for sure. 
Uh, all right, so we're back on the bridge. Nearly destroyed uh, the Romulan. They nearly destroyed the Romulan vessel, so they receive a hail from their captain. Uh, and he talks to Kirk for a second, tells him some kind words. Uh, he wishes they had met under different circumstances because they are very equally matched. They're both wise uh, tacticianers. Um, and then he turns around, messes with the controls to self-destruct his ship. Uh, which was kind of sad, kind of disappointing, because you see, like, this guy is just doing what he thinks is right for his people, and it kind of, I don't know, it it was a humble scene, I think, where he he shows respect to Kirk before destroying his own ship. Uh, then we go back to the medical bay, and we see Styles recovering after uh, Spock saved him from that gas. He thanks Spock for saving him. Uh, which was kind of cool because we see this whole time he's being a jerk to Spock, treating him like a terrorist or something like that, or a spy. Uh, and then Spock goes above and beyond and saves him, even though he was a jerk, and I probably would have left him in there for another 10 seconds, but <laughs> Spock goes back and pulls him out. Uh, but then, yeah, that's when they clarify that Tomlinson, the, the other young guy that was in the room, didn't make it, and he was the groom from the very beginning. He passed. Uh, so that was you know sad and disappointing. Uh, and then, so they mentioned that his bride-to-be, his fiance, is in the chapel, so Kirk goes over to, you know, console her. Her name's Angela. And she's standing alone, and he tries to comfort her. He talks to her. I don't remember exactly what he said. Uh, but she says, I'm all right. And she looks like she's all right, and then she walks out. So I just noted here, like, how, how she oddly does look like she's okay. Like, her fiance, she, she's, you know, on a ship with only, I don't know, 400 people or so. And she fell in love with this one guy and they're going to get married. And then he just died like suddenly unexpectedly. And she's just like, I'm okay. I'll be good. And walks out. <laughs> Is that kind of odd to you? Yeah. So normally in, uh, in any kind of TV show or movie where there's military involved, you see them like keep keeping a stiff upper lip and mm -hmm. they, they, in private is when they'll have their emotions. But we've seen in star Trek before, particularly with chapel in the episode I brought up earlier, mm -hmm. uh, when her android <laughs> fiance died, she lost her shit. Yeah. And that's kind of how I expected that to go here. Cause I know in, in that same situation, I would lose my shit. So mm. I, even with all the military training and Starfleet training in the world or in the galaxy, I would, yeah, I <laughs> so would not be good. I, uh, I can point out then one difference between those two. And I think that might be the key is that he was a researcher. He wasn't like a Starfleet, you know, uh, engineer on a ship or anything like that. So in the, sorry, Chapel's uh, fiance, the, God, I can't remember his name from so many episodes ago. He lived on that planet and was doing research for five years or whatever. So he was relatively safe is what I mean. He wasn't traveling the stars and whatnot. Though on a starship, they have to probably all understand and live with the mentality that any of us can die any day. So... Maybe they're more prepared for that. Maybe they see, you know, they lose friends here and there or on away missions and stuff like that. So um, maybe she was prepared for, you know, they probably at some point even talked about that. Like, you know, if you die from some weird toxic gas, I want, you know, I'm going to move on and I want you to move on if the same thing happens to me. So yeah, on the other end of the coin, though, Nurse Chapel is a nurse. So she works around the sick and the dying all the time. So valid. 
that now that true. I say that, though, I'm realizing my wife's a nurse, and if she doesn't <laughs> get upset when I die, I'm going to be haunting her for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Got to give her clear instructions, and you have to be super upset for about six months, <laughs> and then burn everything and move on. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, okay, so yeah, that was that was the end, that scene where Kirk talks to the bride-to-be. Um, do you have a moral or message of the story out of this? What'd you get? Um, I know what yours is because I am looking at your notes and honestly, I'll let you say it since it was yours. That was the exact same thing I came up with. Okay. So I put to know your enemy is to know yourself. And yeah, I, I got that because I like that relationship that Kirk develops with the other captain and how, or the commander is what his title is, but. And how as they are going, you know, tit for tat and they're working against each other and strategically trying to, you know, out, outwit one another, uh, they start to get to know each other and reveal that, you know, your enemy, when you really get down to it, when you get to know him, he wants the th- same things you want. He wants respect for his, his crew and, and, you know, safety for his people. And he's just trying to, you know, make right what was wrong. And so when it comes down, it's like if everybody could just kind of understand that understand their enemy and their purposes then we could eventually not have wars like it's just a matter of knowing and understanding your enemy yeah i i think that was probably what i was trying to get at was uh people are just people and just because there are differences doesn't mean they can't be worked out we're probably more similar to our enemies than we think we are yeah and we see that also in the whole spock and styles uh situation yeah, with that- this discrimination. <laughs> The other thing I really liked about uh, the the portrayal of that in this episode was that both Kirk and the Romulan had a a subordinate that was like, yeah, let's go after them. Let's do it. (laughs) And it was both. They were both like counter to what the their commander was saying. So Mm -hmm. they both had like pretty much the exact same circumstances, with the exception that their Romulans were the aggressors in the Mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. So overall, I thought this was a really good episode. I like that we got to see Romulans for the first time. Um, I, it's to me their uniform was a little funny with the pink over a shoulder. Um, I thought they, the helmets were weird. Yeah, yeah, and they were like they're like split. It almost looked like a, a peeled orange orange peel or something like that. The way it was like in slices. Yeah. But uh, for for being the first to, you know exposure to Romulans, I thought it was pretty cool. I like I do like how they develop Romulan look more so later on too. Yeah, um, I don't like how later on Romulans get shoulder pads and they're mm. always just have the square shoulders. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's another topic for another time. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wonder, though, if they did something like that to different differentiate them a little more clearly from Vulcans, because that's mostly Probably. it is the, the way they dress. Vulcans wear very plain clothes or robes and Romulans wear military like uniforms. Yeah, uh, Romulans get a little bit of a forehead ridge later mm. on. Yeah. But not it's not much different than the Vulcans. Yeah. So yeah. Um I would give this episode a I would give it a solid A. Yeah. Okay. It was maybe an A minus. I'm gonna say A minus because it was I liked the one prior, the conscience of the king. I liked it a little bit more Oh really? Okay. I that episode uh, again, sorry I couldn't record with you last week and I'm glad Frank was able to do it, but that uh it was so slow to start with for me. I was just I dragging, getting into it. And then once you get to the end, you're like, oh, wow, actually that whole love story that was just kind of meh uh, actually proves out to be valuable. And so it had a really cool surprise ending that 
I was happy with. I didn't think I'd be surprised <laughs> by an old <laughs> Star Trek episode. And I was like, oh, wait, no, that's actually, it's very <laughs> transparent. Like, I probably should have expected that, but that was a good one, too. What grade would you give this episode? Uh, I think I'd give it a straight A. I think it was good. One, one of my favorites. There was, uh, yeah, there was a couple little things here and there that could have been done better. But overall, I think it deserves an A. It's definitely up there for sure. For Nice. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you like this, don't forget to subscribe and check out our website, geekfreakspodcast.com. Check us out on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, send us any questions. If you guys have a question for us about the podcast, or if you have a question that you'd like us to talk about at the beginning of our podcast, uh, send it in to us. We'd love to discuss your topics. Uh, and join us next week for season one, episode 15, which is Shore Leave. Ugh. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say about that. But until UG, we'll see you next time. Transporter room, two to beam up. Mm-hmm.